Heavenly Father, you indeed are the King of Kings, and you are the Lord of Lords, and you alone are worthy of our praise. You alone are worthy of the dedication of our hearts. Worthy is the Lamb. Father, thank you for your providence over this church, your church. Thank you for keeping us safe. Thank you for protecting us. Thank you for the great mission you've given us. Father, as we prepare to hear your word, would you prepare our hearts and our minds? We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, Trinity. I'm tableless. No, I can't. Thank you. That's, that's okay. Thank you so much, Pastor Kirk. Appreciate it. Well, good morning, Trinity. My name is David. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here today. Let me be, if you're new here, let me be yet another voice to welcome you. As Pastor Kirk said, we are in the season of Advent. This is our second week, season of anticipation, of remembering the waiting for the coming of Jesus. And our theme during this season is fear not, for God has come. I'm so excited to share with you what I have today. I've, I've been studying scripture, I would call it seriously, for probably five or six years now, and I've never seen the Christmas story the way that I saw it this week. And so I am so excited to share with you guys today. Today we're going to be studying the birth announcement of Jesus from the angel Gabriel to Mary, the well-known announcement, the Annunciation. And at dinner on Tuesday night, our oldest daughter, Ava, asked me how my sermon was going, and I told her I hated it, which is exactly what happens on Monday and Tuesday of sermon prep week for me. That's just the process that God takes me through. So she asked me what the message is. And I said, I think I'm going to go with how it is entirely possible to celebrate the season but miss the Savior. And I'm like, yeah, that's going to be good. She's going to love that one. She goes, Dad, which is exactly how she says it. She goes, Dad, that's what every pastor says on Christmas. I'm like, like, so now not only do I not like my sermon, but other people don't like my sermon. So I press this Tuesday night. I press back into prayer. I press back into the text take my dogs out for a walk around 10 o'clock at night, and I get this like epiphany. Yes, it is easy, so easy to miss Jesus during the hustle and bustle of Christmas, and that would have made for a fine sermon, Ava. But after studying this passage again, and it studying me, I see now that Christmas tells us everything we need to know about us, about Jesus, And about God. I didn't say it tells us everything there is to know, but everything we need to know. We so often look at Christmas in terms of what we want, but Christmas is about what we need. So turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, but before we do so, would you turn to God with me in prayer? Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. 
for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. All right, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, well-known story, verses 26 through 38. This will be up on the screen as well. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? since I am a virgin. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this, in the sixth month, with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Amen. Quickly, can we just take note that this is not some fantasy land story? In a time long ago, in a place far, far away, a baby just appears. No. In the sixth month, Gabriel sent from God to Nazareth in Galilee, to Mary, married to Joseph, from the house of David. Real people. Real places real events. This really happened, which was not the epiphany that I had after five years of studying the Bible. We'll get to that. So let's see what this really says about us, about Jesus, and about God. Now to really understand how Christmas tells us everything we need to know about us, we have to understand the context of this passage. That was a 10-second pause while you waited for me to speak again. 400 years. That's how long it was from the last time God spoke to his people until the birth of Jesus. Can you imagine the waiting, the yearning, the wondering, generation after generation after generation, God's people now occupied by the Roman Empire, waiting, will God Keep his promise. What promise? I'm glad you asked. Remember, the revelation that the first century Jews had from God was in what we call the Old Testament. And if you learn anything about the Old Testament, learn this. It is a declaration of who God is, who man is, and God's rescue plan to save mankind. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, first two chapters of the Bible, God creates everything, including the crown glory of his creation. Adam and Eve, humankind walking in perfect relationship with God. Genesis chapter 3, we're two and a half chapters into the history of the universe. Man disobeys God, sin enters the world, and infects everything 
and everyone. And this breaks man's relationship with God. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God hands down his judgment for this sin. But in his judgment, God makes a promise. And this is the promise. God says that he will put warfare, enmity between the woman and Satan. And through the woman, God will deliver the promised seed, the offspring, the one who will crush the head of Satan. God declares a holy war. Which is why in Genesis chapter 4, we're told of the first murder which takes place in human history. One child of Eve, Cain, kills his brother Abel. Satan, working behind the scenes, preying upon man's sinful nature to try at every twist and turn to snuff out the coming promised seed from God. And the rest of the Old Testament at a very high level is God working throughout history to produce the seed that would crush the head of Satan, that would crush sin and death and restore the relationship between man and God. And this is why the New Testament, the first page of the New Testament, opens up with a lineage of Jesus Christ. The Gospel writer Matthew, intent on communicating, promise made, promise delivered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Both Matthew and Luke, in their Gospels, provide genealogies of Jesus Christ. They record Adam and Noah, names you guys know, Abraham, Isaac, and King David, all leading straight to Jesus Christ. So what does it have to do with us? Well, think about this with me. Adam, the first human, is Noah of Noah and the Flood, Adam is Noah's great-grandfather times seven. Adam is Noah's great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. Noah is Abraham's great-grandfather times seven. Isaac, Abraham's son given by God, is King David's great-grandfather times 13. And King David is the great-grandfather of times 14 of King Jesus, which means that God, in his love, in his grace, in his providence, created Adam, saved Adam when he sinned to eventually produce Noah, saved Noah from the flood of judgment to eventually produce Abraham, saved and blessed Abraham to produce Isaac, saved Isaac from the knife to eventually produce David, and he saved David from his sin to eventually deliver Jesus Christ on Christmas to save you and me. So, what does Christmas tell us about us? That we are sinners in need of a Savior. And I know that this is not going to be a popular way to win friends and influence people, but the reason that Christmas exists is because sin exists. There is no salvation without the cross of Christ, but there is no cross without first a cradle. Christmas, by definition of its existence, tells us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And that might be the beginning of what Christmas tells us, but it is far from the ending. Because Christmas doesn't just tell us that we need a Savior, it tells us that a Savior has come. I want to look at seven things that Christmas tells us about Jesus. And we need to know these things, because if any one of them is not present, we do not have a Savior. 
We're just going to line these up one after another from what Luke tells us in that passage. And I want to lead with this. Our salvation requires a specific Savior. What do I mean by that? Sinfulness is a nature that produces sinful actions. I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. I was born into sin after Adam and you were too, which is why none of us could ever live perfectly up to God's standard. So our Savior cannot be born into the same sinful nature that I was born into. It's almost as if our Savior has to be born not of a sinful father, but of a perfect father. Now, who does the angel Gabriel come to? A virgin named Mary. And this is the cause of Mary's confusion in verse 34. I'm going to have a son. How can this be? Since I'm a virgin, literally translated, I have not yet known my husband. She isn't cynical. She's confused. She's not questioning Gabriel or God. She's questioning biology. But the virgin birth is not about God flexing his muscles on humanity. It is God delivering the only perfect man ever to live. Born outside of the nature of fallen humanity. Born of the Holy Spirit to Mary and Joseph. Fully man. He knows your struggles. Jesus knows your rejection. He knows abuse. He knows depression. He knows abandonment. He knows temptation. He knows exactly what it's like to fill in the blank there with anything you'd like except sin. Jesus is fully man, yet born sinless. And Gabriel continues, verse 31. says to Mary, you will bear a son and shall call his name Jesus. Jesus in the Aramaic is taken from the Hebrew name Yeshua. Yeshua means God saves. Jesus, the reason he came was to save. He's fully man, born sinless, born to save. Verse 32, he will be great, Gabriel says. Great, not just in his life and deeds, but in his death and resurrection. He is greater than all, and Jesus is the greatest of all. Paul writes, if there is anything true, anything honorable, anything just, anything pure, anything lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, and I will just add, it is summed up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is fully man, born sinless, born to save, and absolutely worthy of our praise. Christmas also tells us that he is the son of the Most High. He is the son of God, Gabriel says, which means that Jesus is fully divine. And this has to be because salvation is not bottom up. It is top down. You and I cannot save ourselves any more than you could pick yourself up and lift yourself out of a hundred foot pit. You need somebody above the pit to get you out. Christmas is God becoming man and literally getting into the pit with you. The cross of Christ is Jesus chucking you out of the pit and taking your place 
while the dirt gets poured back in. Salvation is the work of Jesus, of God, top down, which is why our Savior has to be divine. And he is. And not only that, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice because not only was he born sinless, but he lived sinless. Verse 35, the child to be born, this Jesus will be holy, spotless, set apart, unstained by sin in birth and in life, totally obedient to the law and will of the Father, perfect in all of the ways that you and I fail, and this had to be so, so that when you put your faith and trust and life in Jesus Christ, he takes your sin on the cross, and you get his glory. And we're not done yet. Gabriel says in verse 32 and 33, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So what does Christmas tell us about Jesus? That he is fully man. He was born sinless, born to save, absolutely worthy of our praise, fully divine. He is the ultimate sacrifice, and he is the eternal king. All power and authority is his, which means that if you are his, then there is no one and nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Yet Christmas tells us more. Because it's one thing to need saving. It's another to be able to save. It is yet another thing to be willing to save humanity. And this is where Christmas tells us all we need to know about God because it tells us all we need to know about the heart of God. That God was not only able to save, but willing to save. 700 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Isaiah writes this about Jesus. Many of you know it well. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The child is born, the son is given. What does that mean? The child never existed and therefore needed to be born. But the son, Jesus, always existed and therefore was given. Again, Isaiah wrote these things 700 years before the birth of Christ. Which means that Christmas tells us that God did not give his son begrudgingly. Jesus Christ was not some break glass in case of emergency. Jesus is the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the earth was laid, which means that even before you or I existed to turn our back on God, Jesus died for you. Boy, if you were ever going to amen, that would have been the spot. The only heart capable of such a sacrifice is one motivated by the highest form of love and compassion and mercy and grace. Christmas proves to us that God was not content to watch his children be swallowed up by sin and death. Able to save and willing to do so, he sent his son into the world not to crush us, but to save us. Jesus Christ was not born just to give us more information about God's rescue plan. Jesus Christ is 
God's rescue plan. Today, in reverence and remembrance, a few minutes ago we lit the Advent candle of faith. But on that night, 2,000 years ago, God set off a nuclear display of faith, destroying all doubt. For in Jesus Christ, all of the promises of God find their rest and ultimate fulfillment. As you sit here today, do you want rest? Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are tired and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. Do you want hope in the darkness? Jesus is the light of the world. Do you want to be free from the chains of your past? Jesus came to set the captives free. Do you want to experience the deepest love? Jesus is the good shepherd who will never leave you and never forsake you. Are you searching for meaning and purpose? Jesus doesn't just call you to himself. He commissions you to partner with him in the greatest search and rescue operation in human history. Do you feel passed by, rejected, marginalized, unknown? Jesus Christ numbered every single hair on your head. Are you confused and weary? Fear not, for God has come. Are you frustrated and angry at what's inside of you and what's outside of you? Fear not, for God has come. Are your relationships in shambles because of the election or because of COVID? Fear not, for God has come. Are you drowning in homeschooling and stress? Was your business wrecked? Are you suffocating from the pressures of living up to other people's standards? Do you feel the constant weight of guilt and shame of the things you've done and the things done to you? Are you lonely, depressed? Are you mourning a loss? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Fear not, fear not, fear not, for God has come. On Friday night as I was laboring through the end of this sermon, I kept thinking to myself, this isn't practical enough. Like, I haven't told them what to do yet. And I took my dogs, I'm telling you, there's something about me taking my dogs out for a walk. If you have, like, writer's block, come take my dogs out for a walk. I take my dogs out for a walk, and something just pops straight into my head. This annunciation to Mary by the angel Gabriel was inconceivably inconvenient. This was life-altering, and life-threatening. A child out of wedlock with that explanation? She could be abandoned by her fiancé, by her family, by her people, and depending on how far they wanted to go with it, she could be stoned to death. That's what she knew. What she didn't know, about 30 years later, she'd watch her son get killed on a cross. But without knowing what to do, without being able to process what was going on, without having answers about what was next, Mary's heart did exactly what God designed it to do. And on that night 2,000 years ago, this poor, unmarried, probably 14-year-old peasant girl from nowhere showed the entire universe the proper way to celebrate the Christmas season. With her entire life on the line, we get this in verse, 30, in verse 37. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be to me according to your word. 
the confusion of her emotions, and the wonder of her mind were overcome by the submission and the worship of her heart. The first recorded human response to Christmas was submission and worship to and of God's will, God's timing, God's providence, and God's mercy. That was the proper response then, and it's the proper response now. As we look back on the turmoil that was 2020, and we stare forward into the unknown, do not be overwhelmed by your circumstances. Be overjoyed at the power, the providence, and the love of God. And this Christmas season, with the posture of our hearts, be that of submission and worship, knowing that the greatest gift ever given to be received was not a present under a tree, but a Savior nailed to one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand here humbled by, by your word, humbled by your servant Mary, who shows us exactly what it's like to respond in faith, in trust, in love to the coming of Jesus Christ. Father, in a season that is so easy to get caught up in consumption, in spending, would the posture of our heart be submission and worship? Would we not lose sight of who this season is really about? Father, would we receive again and again and again your mercy and your grace and your love? Father, do a mighty work in us that that would be said of us. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we exit out of the sermon and prepare for communion, we want to give some, some time and some space to reflect not just on the word of God, but also on, on your life and who our God is. And so as the team plays this song, I just encourage you to sit or stand, whatever posture physically you need to have or want to have. But we just, as Shelby says, would you do business with God right now? Would you think of the posture of your heart? Is it one of submission and worship? Or maybe it's like mine has been, anxiety and frustration. We just hand that over to God. Give it to him. He wants it anyway. He knows what to do with it. And we just submit to him. If there are things on your heart that you need to confess before we take communion, use this time and do that. If you confess to him because of the blood of Jesus, he is good and right to forgive. Amen?